It's seven o'clock. Do you know where your freedom is? Coming to you live and electrified from Studio A, high atop the escarpments of Whitetail Peak, the roof, woof, woof, the American Hindu Kush. This is Dr. Amp doing the vamp for liberty, climbing the ramp for justice and lighting the lamp of freedom. So what's on your mind tonight? I mean, you know I'm going to tell you mine. We're sinking down deep in the mud and the fucks are at it again. Same vast global corporate conspiracy, different day. Whew, welcome <laughs> to a new episode of What Exactly Am I Watching Here? Featuring Dr. Jacoby, uh, and also a proud <laughs> member of the Overthink Podcast Network. I'm your host for now, Jason Helms, and I'm joined by my good bud, Dominic Lang. Say hi, Dom. Hey, Jason. And I, I just want to say that if Dr. Jacoby ever felt the need and desire to join the Overthink he would be most welcome. We got a seat for you. Yep. All right. Let's rock. Before we begin, a quick introduction to the show. What exactly am I watching here is a podcast that features an expert, myself, and a novice. Myself. Watching one of the great shows of television history. For now, our show is the cult favorite Twin Peaks. We're diving into Twin Peaks The Return. We're going to take it one episode at a time. And tonight, we're talking about episode 12. Ooh, so, Dom. Where'd we leave off? We left off. Dougie and the Mitchum brothers had a delightful dinner together with some uh, with some vino and some delicious cherry pie. Mm. Cole and the gang had an encounter in <laughs> Buckhorn. Pacing cracked, or at least is scalded. We had a had a ring in from the log lady saying there is fire where you are going. She's telling mm. Hawk there's fire where you are going. And Becky, daughter of Shelly and Bobby. Wants to kill her husband. There's shots fired at the double R. And we are way late for dinner. Because it is well past 6.30. Well past. Why is this happening? Why? All right. Uh, we start with, I think, a really interesting scene. I want to give you some background on this. Uh, we've yeah. mentioned a couple times um, the, the uh, secret history of Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. Um, this really cool book that collects tons of different stuff. And in the book... Uh, there's a bunch of annotations by an FBI agent with the initials TP. And slowly you find out that her name is Tamara Preston and that she was given this task of going through this, uh, this folder by Gordon Cole. And by the end of it, she's determined that the author of the information here, the other person who's been annotating things in uh, this book is none other than major Garland Briggs. So, that is the backdrop. Uh, she also notices in there, she says, I feel like feel like you're setting me up for something. I feel like this is a trial test of some kind. And I don't know if I've passed and I don't know what it is that I'm being set up for. Uh, the implication being that she was being set up for the meeting that opens this episode. So, Dom, yes. take it away. So, we open with, with a meeting. Uh, Agent Preston is brought in by Cole and Albert. And Albert fills her in on what is known as the Blue Rose task force and the blue rose task force consisted of albert gordon cole chet desmond a fire walk with me shout out uh and special agent dale cooper and the blue rose task force was to investigate particular cases that were outside the realm of what we would consider normal run-of-the-mill uh investigations And so you might say paranormal, you might say interdimensional, extraterrestrial, whatever 
whatever goes spooky, that's what the Blue Rose Task Force goes into. Yes, and I think we just missed uh, Philip Jeffries, a.k.a. Uh, David Bowie. Oh, we did miss Philip Jeffries. Uh, he is another uh, Blue Rose person. Yeah. So Philip Jeffries also. And this meeting is to officially invite Agent Preston to become part of the Blue Rose Task Force. In addition, so I was like, okay, cool. Agent Preston, awesome. She's like, She's been working hard. She's been diligent. She's been alongside Albert and Gordon as they've been investigating. Like, cool. I think that's totally awesome. Also invited into the task force, Diane. Yeah. Well, okay, and, and this is the part that doesn't make sense to me, is because Albert and Gordon know that something's up with Diane. Right. That there is some kind of betrayal or communication happening that Diane is doing with evil Doppelkoop and... Either this is gamesmanship on the part of Gordon and Albert, or this is just profoundly stupid. Yeah. And I'm I'm going to say that it's gamesmanship. Like I'm going to say that oh they're like trying to pull one over. They're trying to like keep your friends close and your enemies closer, kind of a thing. But it just seemed in the moment wildly bewildering. Like I I don't know why they're doing this. Mm-hmm. So. That was the meeting, and overall, uh, this episode, there, so there's one scene with Cooper, and it's another game of catch with Sonny Jim <laughs> that, let's just say, like, doesn't go so well. Listen, we've seen two games of catch. This one went better. Yeah. But even that one had some struggles. So <laughs> it's safe to say that Lynch and sports might not be the best of friends, or at the very least, Lynch and baseball. Yeah. Are not the best of friends. Yeah. Uh, so outside of that brief scene of catch, uh, Cooper is absent from this episode. And my that, that's a theory as to why I disliked this episode so much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels absolutely aimless to me, uh, as well as an epi- like a few scenes, two or three scenes that come later that particularly got my annoyance. One of the scenes that wasn't annoying, but was kind of at least peculiar, uh, Sarah Palmer, who yeah. we haven't seen since part one, I think. Um, in, I believe we two? did see her in The Return at one point. Oh, no, but I'm saying like the first oh, or second episode. Oh, oh of, got it, got it. Yeah, 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 you're right. And she was she was watching a nature documentary. That's right. And that was That's it. right. Oh, jeez. That was all. That nature documentary. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, so outside of that, haven't seen her. So she's at the market and she's definitely been scarred permanently by what happened to her family. Understandably, but she is either hearing voices and or seeing things and she's drinking heavily, Mm -hmm. heavily. Hawk makes a visit later, but his offer to help is pretty cleanly and clearly turned down. Uh, Sarah Palmer does not want any intrusion into her life at all. Uh, so that was a visit into Sarah Palmer's life. Um, you know, like I said, I was confused as to why Diane is invited into the Blue Rose task force because in one of the scenes, Diane gets a text from Doppelkoop asking about Las Vegas. Diane says they haven't asked yet. Okay, uh, so 
again, like something's going on and they know it and they're playing coy with it. So yep. I'm going to trust, I'm going to trust the the FBI here that they know what they're doing. A dangerous proposition. Yeah. Yeah. There's a very, honestly, my favorite episode of this or favorite scene of this episode uh, between Frank Truman and, and Ben Horn. Yeah, me too. It's a very tender scene. Uh, two friends who've known each other for a long time. Uh, Frank is coming with bad news about Ben's grandson because Richard Horn, probably like in a Twin Peaks has its share of vile characters. Richard Horn yeah. is up there. Yeah. He is right at the top. Um, and even Ben says that Richard was bent from the get-go, which again lends a little credence to the theory that Richard Horn and Doppelkoop share some sort of lineage. Yeah. Uh, so that is an interesting thread that still is kind of in the background. Would you like to uh, expand on that at all? Uh, so the theory that I read yeah. was... I, I wasn't sure if we talked about this yet, so I thought, thought yeah. it was worth addressing. Yeah, so the theory I read was that that Richard Horn is the the result of a an encounter between Audrey Horn and Doppelkoop. There's a mention that Cooper, uh, right after waking up, uh, yeah. or after uh, hurting himself in, in the hotel room, mm-hmm. goes and uh, is in the hospital, and he was visiting Audrey's room. Yeah. Uh, there's a mention that he was visiting Audrey's room, uh, and that's the only mention of it that's made, and she was still in a coma at that time. Yeah. So that's, yeah, I, I say encounter, but it's probably far more malevolent. Yeah, it seems like uh, sexual assault. Yeah, uh, is is what happened. Um, yeah, and it sadly fits in with the recurring themes of Twin Peaks of abuse, of sexual abuse, of trauma, mm-hmm. and the evil that is pervasive in this world. Um, so sadly, that theory makes sense. You know, like I, Richard's near murder of Miriam, Miriam Sullivan is a school teacher who is beaten to the point of almost death and comes crawling out of the forest, bruised and bleeding. That to me echoes Ronette Pulaski mm-hmm. who was beaten, raped and left for dead, who crawled out of the train car and was found half naked on a bridge. Right. Yeah. Bruised and bleeding yep. and spent a long time in a coma. And so again, like those, like, you know, Mark Twain says, you know, history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. Yeah. And those echoes and those rhymes of trauma um, are coming back in Twin Peaks. You mentioned really uh, liking this Frank and Ben Horn scene. Um, mm-hmm. And some things that I really liked about it were, um, one, uh, it wasn't, yeah, there was a warmth to it. And I was glad to see Ben trying to do the right thing, mm-hmm. uh, not trying to get out of this and say, uh, I think we had envisioned the old Ben saying, uh, you know, listen, that wasn't me. Yeah. I didn't do that. That's Richard. We've cut him off. You have nothing to do with him. You know, mm-hmm. don't come crawling to me for money. But the newer Ben, you know, wants to do good. So one of the things that I think is really interesting about it is that Ben is really seeking approval throughout this scene, uh, mm-hmm. both with Frank and then later with his secretary. And and Frank denies it to him over and over again. Mm-hmm. So Ben is going out of his way to say um, I'll take care of this. Uh, you know, oh, of course, I'll, I'll I'll we'll pay for everything. Of course. And Frank says, uh, well, thank you. I, I think that's the right thing to do. You know, 
mm-hmm. just really, you know, oh, well, well, I really appreciate it. Oh, that's great. Nothing like that. Nothing to, to really make Ben feel good about doing good. And I think there's a weird kind of kindness in it, in that the moment that Ben gets that affirmation, he starts doing good for the affirmation. Yeah. And Frank is going to withhold that from him, you know, a kind of therapeutic way of just, I'm just going to let you sit in this and just do good uh, rather than, than praising you for it. Uh, and then in the scene with his secretary, he gets distracted by talking about his bike, hmm. how much he loved his bike. And it's one of those, it, it reminds us what's good about Ben, which is this childlike pleasure, yeah. uh, this, this real rich nostalgia uh, for very small things that make him happy. Uh, he's a, a hedonist in a lot of ways, but in the best ways of just getting pleasure out of life and enjoying mm-hmm. life and loving life. Uh, and I think you see that there. So, so two sides of Ben's goodness, the altruism that comes really hard to him and that kind of uh, a, a kind, gentle hedonism that comes very naturally to him. Yeah. And even, even with Ben giving the old room key yeah. to Frank, it's like, do you think, do you think Harry would like this? Like he's, He's a kid and he wants yeah. Frank to be like, oh, yeah, of course. Harry would love it. He would be so appreciative. Frank just says, yeah. Yeah, I think like, I, I think it would. And then, and, and then Ben gets distracted for a second, talks about something else, and then looks back and says, so you think Harry would like it? Again, even after Frank has already said, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think he'd like it. I think he would. Yeah. I'll give it to him. Uh, so favorite scene, Frank and Ben, uh, in, a, in a heat, dead heat for my least favorite scene. Uh, is Gordon Cole and the French woman. So Gordon yeah. and Albert, Albert comes in because he has something to tell Gordon. And yeah. Gordon is in mid story with an attractive French woman. And Gordon asks the woman to step out. And what ensues is I'm guessing is supposed to be a comedic. Like she just takes a really long time to get out of the room. Yep. And in the process of getting it out of the room, she is ogled to death. Like, mm-hmm. and you know, like we talked about this a few episodes back in regards to like the violence against women, the objectification. And is it satire? Is it uh, just calling out that this is part of our culture? And this just felt like this felt mean. Mm. And this felt like just straight. Like I, I couldn't find any satire or any like humor in it. Right. It just, like the joke is that women take a long time to get ready. Yeah. Or, it, or it just felt like this is just a, a like we're just going to show a really pretty woman and we're just going to treat her like an object. Mm. So for me, I, I wasn't picking up. I did think it was a funny scene, but for me, it was the humor. Um, it was a really similar scene to the uh, sweeping scene in the roadhouse. Oh. It just goes on forever. Is that that prolonged? Uh, and all of my joy in that scene was watching Albert get annoyed and watching Cole not care. Right. In fact, watching Cole, uh, she definitely could have gotten ready quicker. Well, yeah. But Cole sent her all the messages in the world that she shouldn't, and that she should mm-hmm. take her time, yeah. and that this is a flirtatious thing that the two of them are doing. Right. So I, you know, I, I think I, I can see the objectification. I think you may be right there. Uh, and maybe I need to think more about it. But for me, I, I was howling laughing just because for me, the joke was on both the viewer and on Cole because yeah. Cole is here to deliver exposition. He's here to tell us what's going to happen next. Yeah. And that's what the viewer wants. 
And so this delay is so annoying because that's what we want. And it's, it's hilarious. She shows off her red bottom shoes. Uh, She spends time with this. I just couldn't get over it. I thought it was, was absolutely hilarious, but again, I've seen it before. I know what the exposition is. And I think, I think Cole knows what the exposition is because they're going to talk about Diane and he knows it's bad news. And so Especially because after this, the first thing he does is tell a stupid joke. Yeah. And he's delaying. He doesn't want to find out that Diane is betraying him. He's pushing that off. And when Albert, Albert just waits and waits and waits. And this is, again, a more mature Albert, not the same Albert that yelled at Sheriff Truman so many years ago. And this Albert can wait with him until he's comfortable. And he's done his little jokes. And he's acted like a child. And it's like, all right, you ready? All right, let me tell you what's going on with Diane. And so that's that's the way I read the scene. Uh, similar in some ways to the Frank and Ben Horn scene, but in a, a very different kind of relationship. I suppose, yeah. I It just felt like we're giving Lynch too much credit in this scene. Yeah. Well, in terms of the ogling, especially, yeah. I think you, you may be right there. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think the end of this episode, like the last kind of quarter, uh, just ends really sour. Mm-hmm. Is that Warden Murphy is shot and killed right in front of his kid? Yeah, and there is a little payoff plot-wise with Diane. Uh, she cribbed the numbers from Ruth Davenport's body. She enters the numbers. They lead to Twin Peaks, which doesn't feel like a big reveal. You kind of like, well, that's okay. The map coordinates that reveal Twin Peaks, like, right? Yes, let's let's go there. And Audrey Horn. Audrey Horn, everybody. Yes. Like <laughs> Audrey Horn. Audrey Megan Horn gasped uh, yeah. when she came on screen. Uh, how, how did you feel when you saw Audrey Horn? Not after you'd seen the scene, but right. when you first saw Audrey Horn. First saw her, I was like, hey! Be, well, because it just happens like in a pan. It's just in a normal, you're in a room, you're panning, and then all of a sudden Audrey's there. And you're like, whoa, 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 okay. So my thought was, this is a big scene because... Audrey Horn was a big character in the first two seasons. She's been held off until the last third of the return. So she's got to be here for something. Yep. So that was my initial, like, okay, here we go. Something, something's going on. And what proceeds is absolutely blessed. Nothing like goodness gracious. We're, she's going on with her husband about all these characters and names that we don't know. We don't know who they are. We don't know what she's talking about. Her husband makes a phone call. And then once he finds out the information, all the while saying, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. You don't say, are you serious? He hangs up the phone and then doesn't tell her. And so this feels like the simultaneously the most hilarious and the meanest Twin Peaks joke ever. Yes. It's in a way it feels connected to uh fire walk with me and the like if you like you want meaning like you want everything to have you know this means that a means b and x means y and this means that this is like you think audrey horn is a super important character and is going to reveal some amazing plot twists and she's put in the most meaningless scene in the return to date yep uh, and then the scene in the roadhouse, it happens again. Like yeah. 
you have all these names thrown out that you have no idea what the significance is or the plot or these stories of these people or what's going on. And then the episode ends and yeah. I ended just incredibly frustrated and incredibly like, that's not funny, man. It's just, it's just mean. And I think it just, it felt mean in the sense that we're two thirds through the return mm-hmm. and I shouldn't have to feel bad for wanting some cohesion. At least that's my, that's my opinion. No, I, I understand. I, I don't disagree. All right. This is why we do what exactly am I watching? You? This is I mean, why. You can freak out and I can, I can laugh at you. Yes. <laughs> the best thing ever. All right. So good. So I want to tell you a couple of things. Okay. Uh, and the first will be that on the rewatch, I actually think there's a, a theory online. And based on the theory, this Audrey Horn scene may actually be one of the most important in the entire show. So we'll come back to that. Wow. I'll plant that. But let me give you kind of an arc that we've got. We've got the Frank and Ben scene, Gordon and the French woman, or actually Gordon and Albert. Um, then we've got uh, Audrey and Charlie, uh, and then the Roadhouse, right? Yeah. Frank and Ben, they're talking about Richard, but really they're finding a way to talk about the person that they wish was here, which is Harry. Is Harry going to be on the show? I don't think so. Okay. And if so, is it, if he's not going to be on the show, is it not cruel to have him dealing with something medical off camera rather than just dead? So we don't have to sit here and wonder, do we get to see Harry again? Harry, one of the main characters, you can tempt us with him every episode, mm. but they find a way around it. It doesn't feel the same way. It doesn't feel that pain, that same pain of wanting Coop back. Yeah. Uh, but a little bit of that is happening. Mm. Uh, Gordon and Albert, same kind of... Uh, We've got knowledge for you. It's waiting right over here. We just have to wait for this uh, beautiful French woman to put on her clothes. Uh, and then we can all get to it, right? Same kind of titillation of something just right over here. We'll, we'll get there. There will be some closure. By the way, uh, quick uh, just question for you. Mm. If you wanted to see Gordon Cole talk to any French actress ever, who would be the French actress you would like to see Gordon Cole talking to? Oh. Uh, right now, the only one I can think of is Marion. Cotillard from uh, Inception. Nice, nice. I was going to go with Monica Bellucci, but that's fine too. Anyway. Well, she's Italian though, man. Oh, you're right. Dang, yeah. I screwed it up. Okay. Any Ita- now, let me re-ask the question with the word okay. Italian in it. Uh, <laughs> let's go back. Let's do this again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sofia Coppola. Dang it. Uh, all right. Then we have uh, Audrey and Charlie. Mm. And again, now this one, we're getting further from it because we actually don't know what we want. Right. Right. The others, we, we kind of knew what we wanted. And then by the end of it with the roadhouse, we don't care about anyone here. Mm. And at this point, it really, really, really does feel like satire of what has been happening. It's the show reflecting on itself and mocking itself in some ways. Right. The, the amount of proper names that come out of the roadhouse, Abby, Natalie, Clark, Angela, Mary. Is everybody. ridiculous. It's, it's funny. And I couldn't help but think. When the guy that's clearly 15 years older than them shows up and gives this really stupid thing about how he got almost got run off the road. Yeah. And he needs a beer. And the two of them are mooning over him. He's so cute. He's not. No. And it just made me think about all of these roadhouse scenes are kind of parodies of soap operas. They're all, I mean, and this is the parody of the, the high school soap opera, which is the, the, the women in the high school are always played by women in their mid-20s. Yes. And the men are always played by men in their early 40s. Oh. Um, you know, yeah. it's, it's weird. 
um the the older guy who's in college is you know 65 i think um the the way that that these happen in americana and i think that that's part of what they're joking about here and the, and the proper names of all these characters that we really don't care about mm. to remind us again of the characters that we do care about to forget about the MacGuffin, get back to just watching the show and enjoy the characters you do that that could be one point that that's serving but back yeah. to the audrey scene audrey and charlie they're not just talking about someone who's not there about people who aren't there there's one person in particular that they're talking about a bunch billy Billy is Audrey's lover, and she tells Charlie that. Yeah. Right? She says that this has been going on for some time. Mm-hmm. Charlie doesn't seem upset by it. Like, he acts like he might be upset. Like, oh, I am so hurt. But clearly, he either knew or doesn't care. Yeah. Uh, their marriage is a marriage of convenience. It's an arrangement. It's a contract. That's mm-hmm. the way it's seen. Uh, which is funny, because Audrey ha- is and always has been all passion. And yeah. Charlie is all contract agreement follow through on it he is her accountant and in in the uh final dossier it literally he was her accountant That's oh really yeah oh wow and and she married her accountant almost clearly like for business purposes yeah and so it you know that explains a lot so who in the world is billy okay one other scene we've seen so far that mentioned a billy at the end of episode seven episode seven ends with a long shot of the double r yes and do you remember this? Yeah. Guy and comes in. Runs in. Where's Billy? Anybody seen Billy? Has anyone seen Billy? All right. The guy's character name is Bing, by the way. Mm-hmm. And the actor's name is Riley Lynch. No. That's David Lynch's son. No. So keep that in mind. Now, it, now. who is Audrey in love with? Cooper. Who else? Because that's not who she was in love with. Oh, she was too. in love with Billy Zane. Who? <laughs> um, Billy? Crap. Wait, what? Jack is his name. Jack. Jack, Jack Wheeler. But like, like Luke Skywalker calling Leia Carrie at mm. the end of episode four, it's almost as though she made a mistake hmm. and called him by the actor's name. Billy. Interesting. Okay. okay. So here's the theory. I'm giving it to you small because most of the evidence for this theory Mm. will be developed over the next six episodes. Okay. 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 But we've got enough tidbits to start to put it together. Yeah. You mentioned earlier, it's like a dream. Mm -hmm. I think this was earlier this episode or maybe the last episode. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, it was last episode when we were talking about Vegas. Yeah. Right? Dreams becoming reality. The slippage between dreams. Uh, Philip Jeffries told everybody in Fire Walk With Me, we're living in a dream. This isn't real. By the way, Philip Jeffries was right. They're a bunch of actors in a movie, right? He's not wrong. Yeah, And there's this slippage between reality and fiction. And as the theory goes, there are actually three levels. There's our reality. There is the dream reality of television. And there is the additional spiritual reality of the Red Lodge. And we've seen so much bleeding between the lodges and their reality. And in the return, we start to see a little bit more bleed between our reality and theirs. And that points to all of the really, really meta moments throughout Twin Peaks The Return. There's a lot more looking at the camera, a lot more really thinking about stuff and causing you to look at it. And I think a lot that's the way that those uh, roadhouse scenes, especially early on in the season, are working, which is they're just random uh, soap opera shtick, right? Yeah. And it's interesting that Richard gets introduced through one as though he's crossing kind of between worlds, moving from one into the other. 
that there's some blurry areas. The whole, the whole show, the whole Twin Peaks idea is that they're in this soft area where the boundaries are a little bit thinner uh, mm. between our world and the Lodge. And maybe they're a little thinner between their world and ours as well. And so, so that's the theory. We'll look for some more evidence as we move forward. But as soon as I read this, I got really upset. Uh, yeah. You can see why this is right down my alley. Yeah, it, I'm, I'm on board with it. I'm open to it. Yeah. It doesn't make me enjoy the scenes right. anymore. Agreed. But even the progression of Frank and Ben, Cole and Albert, Audrey and Charlie and the Roadhouse going from like awareness to not knowing at all what we're yep. watching or experiencing or in uh, is an interesting or not like progression, but almost like degression or de- yeah. like kind of loosening of everything. So I'd say from here, as usual, I have no idea what's going to happen next. Right. Uh, but it also feels like I'm not sure where the plot picks up. Right. And <sighs> plot is a tough thing in Twin Peaks. Yeah. Um, it worked really well. Uh, up until, uh, I guess, fourth or fifth episode of season two, yeah. when we find out who killed Laura Palmer. And once that happens, uh, plot starts to unravel. And that's why Lynch and Frost never wanted to reveal who killed Laura Palmer. Um, that was the driving force of the show. Yeah. Not to say that it doesn't matter, but it's, it's just really different. And so uh, in that sense, you get a lot of, I mean, in, in a weird way, one of the most plot-heavy episodes of the entire season is episode eight. Mm-hmm. Um, which oh, is yeah. very abstract and difficult, but it has plot. Things move, things happen. Oh, yeah. uh, and instead, a lot of this, there's episode eight is very abstract imagery with a very concrete plot. A lot of the rest of the show is very 